Welcome to the New Vision Podcast. In 2020, a new vision undercover journalist traveled to United Arab Emirates to investigate the realities of girls traveling to work as maids in Dubai. This time, new vision got another undercover journalist to go through a licensed company and find out if regulations apply. The project, which took more than a year, reveals hallowing experiences of girls in detention camps in the center of Kampala, unacceptable mistreatment, violation of human rights, corruption, Sex and drugs are going on under the nose of civil leaders and security organizations. We now bring you this series. Download the podcast episodes on Vision Digital Experience app on Play Store and App Store. Episode 10 Two things made me uncomfortable throughout our movement from our holding hostel in Tuba, Kolambilo to the airport and finally out of the country. One was the fake documents we were given. We had COVID-19 PCR test results, which we didn't do. COVID-19 vaccine cards we did not take, and a yellow fever vaccine book, which we also did not take. The second discomfort was the expected embarrassment as almost all the girls had never used an airplane before. I heard and know that if you add your village to your first time flying, the results can be humiliating. And I wasn't disappointed. The girls not only goofed, but they also embarrassed all of us squarely. For the first time, I wished I had dropped out of the assignment before. About an hour after checking in, we boarded Egypt Air, flight number MS838. First of all, the excitement and noise started as the girls ran towards their plane and struggled for seats. We tried to explain that struggling for seats doesn't help because each one had her own seat number, but they could not listen. Others blatantly refused to leave the seats they had grabbed and the air hostess tried and failed to redirect them. They just gave up. The good thing was that the plane dominated by girls going for Cheo over 150 with other girls from Absolute Labour International, Greener Pastures, Tusano and Al Pfizer. Only six people were private travellers, so the embarrassment stopped at the plane staff and the six passengers. In one case, an Egyptian air hostess was trying to shift one of the girls from where she had sat to her proper seat, but the girl didn't know what the problem was and didn't have enough English to be edified. The hostess, what is your seat number? Girl, seat Hostess, what is written on your boarding pass? The girl, pass? Hostess, can you please hand your ticket? Ticket? She just left her alone and went laughing. Girls were not complying to any instructions. They were shouting when the safety instructions were played. They remained on WhatsApp when an order to switch off internet was given and some were standing to have a better view when the plane was lifting off. It was a night flight and so there wasn't much to see below. So my colleague chose to break into song praising God for the final breakthrough. One of the girls started it and soon the plane was like a high school bus or a school truck. When the food came, some asked for spoons, not seeing the plastic cutlery wrapped in serviettes. 
Even removing their retractable tables was a problem. I was surprised that none of them were broken in the process. Some girls even asked for more food. We arrived in Cairo at 9am and new excitement of a big international airport started. There were lots of selfies with airport escalators, adverts, hanging lights and whatever was new to the girls. Escalators scared as many as it excited those who had conquered them. Every girl who successfully pitched on the moving stairs was cheered like she had scored a goal. Those who failed and struggled to get off attracted more noise. Airport staff tried to direct some girls to the stairs instead. Other travelers must have been wondering where we were coming from. But for me, it was the villageish noise of calling each other across a long distance that was nauseating. One would call out, "Mastula!" and the other would respond, "Eh? Then the other would respond, Everyone would turn to see, and those of us in a similar uniform would wish the earth to swallow us. The same noise repeated itself when we changed to flight number MS-689 from Cairo to King Khalid International Airport in Riyadh. This time... Girls who were not on window seats would stand up to get a better view if something was spotted down. Others would argue about a feature they had seen and even attract neighbors into the argument. Finally, after a mental torture throughout the memorable flight, we arrived in Riyadh around 3 p.m. on May 29th. Even up to King Khalid International Airport in Riyadh, there wasn't much to see except the desert. As we descended to land, I also spotted a few acacia trees, all brown and maybe dry. Riyadh is Saudi Arabia's capital and the main financial hub. It is located on a desert plateau in the center of the country. The booklet on the plane said the airport is located 35 kilometers north of Riyadh city, almost a similar distance of Entebbe from Kampala. According to the booklet, The airport has five passenger terminals with eight aero bridges each, a mosque, car parking for 11,600 vehicles and an additional royal terminal for the royal family and the kingdom's guests. It was formerly the largest airport in the world in terms of ground area before it was overtaken by King Fahad International Airport, also in Saudi Arabia. Everybody became quiet as we taxed to a stop. I think it dawned on the girls that the unknown had finally arrived. The celebratory mood of the journey sprang off into a stark contrast to the scared looks of the girls' faces. We quietly left the plane into a tube bridge which welcomed us with tense heat in spite of its air conditioning. That dose of what the country's weather would feed us on was as caring as the other challenges of culture shock. The airport was magnificent, which most of the girls expressed in two words, "Entebenedda." We snaked towards the entrance booths, fake papers in hand and fearing for the worst. I was imagining prison, hard labor, or exorbitant fees, and instantly preferred deportation after being told my papers were not genuine. But none of these happened. The immigration person just asked us for the Mukim, which is an arrival registration 
even before they asked for the passport. They then stamped and we entered without saying a single word. We thus became part of about 288 girls that enter the kingdom of Saudi Arabia daily. In just one month of April this year, the Saudi embassy announced that it had issued 866 visas to Uganda girls going to work as maids. This boils down to 288 girls per day. Eventually, Ugandan men will find high time getting a wife to marry. They will all be in Saudi Arabia. There were as many agents at the exit as there were groups on the flight. They identified us by the names on our t-shirts or hijabs for those whose recruitment companies had insisted. The heat had tested in the connecting tube engulfed us as soon as we left the airport air conditioning. My phone showed 43 degrees centigrade at 3 p.m. I wondered how I would survive in that environment. The man who was supposed to receive us identified us easily. He gestured to us to step on the side and his greeting was, "Give me your passport." He collected them according to our respective companies. Aleka and Sami. Surprisingly, he gave me the Al-Salman's passports to me to hold. The ones for Sami and Aleka, he gave to another agent. He then told us to wait because there were other girls who had delayed in the airport belonging to two companies, Tusanu and Uganda Limited. When they arrived, he handed us to another man who herded us into a vehicle driven by a man who I later found out was Muhammad. Muhammad was a welcoming man, jovial and humorous. He asked us how to say I love you in Luganda. He was always wearing a smile. The journey was as amazing as the flight, this time without the villagish noise. We remained quiet, admiring the road network, the posh cars on the streets, all driving very fast. Our own driver was in 120 kilometers per hour. Eventually, we left the desert area and started seeing settlements with many apartments all flat on top. About 40 minutes after we left the airport, we entered Riyadh. Riyadh itself is a morphous expanse of neighborhoods and subdivisions bounded by wide roads lined up with commercial strip development. There is no impression of desert in the city center which had more green and flowers than Kampala. I also noted that there were many large scale construction projects still going on in Riyadh is the capital and largest city of Saudi Arabia. It is one of the largest cities on the Arabian Peninsula and is situated in the center of the Annafud deserts. According to the information handbook The city receives around 5 million tourists each year, making it the 49th most visited city in the world and the 6th in the Middle East. It had a population of 7.6 million people in 2019 and now, with Ugandan girls pouring in daily, we could be around 10 million. Riyadh is where the king and the Supreme Judicial Council of Saudi Arabia are situated. The handbook said life is concentrated around its mosques which number more than 4000. People also congregate around its many soaks, marketplaces. 
as an Islamic country ruled by the Sharia, Islamic law, Riyadh's inhabitants adhere to a number of social norms that include segregation of the sexes and the need to protect the privacy of the family. Recreational activities are often a family affair and large public gatherings are mainly restricted to male attendants. Other religious activities apart from Islam are prohibited by law. Though non-Muslim foreigners can worship in private. Each day begins with a call to dawn prayers and worshippers pray for more times a day. It is the heat that we would have to grapple with. Riyadh was said to average 40 degrees Celsius never experienced in Uganda. The hottest district is Kitugum with the highest temperatures of 38.5 degrees centigrade. Riyadh's lowest winter temperature is 10 degrees Celsius and harder than Uganda. It is said Saudi nationals constitute about two-thirds of the city's population. The rest are Asians, among whom Indians and Pakistanis dominate. Other Arabs, especially Egyptians and Yemenis, and now us Ugandans who mostly have to do housegirl work. The average family size is large, with Saudi families averaging more than six members. Mohammed stopped at Tusano offices where the girls belonging to that recruitment company got off. We continued to Al Salman offices which were a distance out of the city center. We reached Al Salman office at about 5:30. According to my Google Maps, the area is known as Al Malka. It is in a large settlement area with several storied apartments covering the whole place. The settlement has a nicely paved ground, green grass compound patches. As we arrived, I asked to hand over. I was asked to hand over our passports, which I was carrying all the while. Muhammad led us to the office where we found two other Arab men. Each of us was given Saudi SIM card from the company, Virgin, for which we registered with a fingerprint. It had small data to help us communicating with our families about our arrival. They then showed us way to the rooms. Our apartment was one three-storied building. The ground floor had an office on the left and on the right, rooms for girls. In those rooms were Filipinos, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankans, and Indians. There were about 15 in number. We were given a separate room as new arrivals all Ugandans where we joined three girls from Zion who had traveled a month before and four others from other companies we were told that their employers had rejected them and now they're waiting to be resold